Hello, everybody. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to remind you guys of two headline sponsors that we have for the podcast. The first is Elite Sweets. Elite Sweets is redefining the way we think about sweets with their Elite Donuts. The Elite Donut is a better-for-you donut that is packed with 13 grams of protein, gluten-free, keto-friendly, and contains only one gram of sugar. Uh, that's right. One gram of sugar. I know. I almost like tripped over my words there. It is hard to believe that a donut can be keto, gluten-free, packed with protein, and low in sugar. But that's what the team over at Elite Sweets has done. You can get yours today at EliteDonut.com or on Amazon. If you use code ShaneWhite30, you can get 30% off your order. And also, uh, it's Black Friday and Cyber Monday right around the corner here. Uh, and so if you check it out, they are, have big deals running on both their website and Amazon. Go to the link in the show notes and find Elite Sweets and get your donuts today. All right, everybody. We also are brought to you by Routine. When we sleep, we lose between a pound and a half, a pound and a half of water, most of that from sweating and expelling vapors. Routine came up with a proprietary product called Morning Routine. Each packet of Morning Routine contains half an organic lemon, one tablespoon of apple cider vinegar, Himalayan sea salt, all six essential electrolytes, and most importantly, no sugar. It's become a part of my morning routine. It's the first thing I do when I wake up is I dump one of those packets into around 20 ounces of water and rehydrate myself first thing in the morning. You can check out Routine uh, by going to yourroutine.com. And if you use code ShaneWhite30 at checkout, you'll receive 30% off your first order. Routine, trusted ingredients, made convenient. All right, everybody. This episode is coming to you live right before Thanksgiving. Uh, I was pumped. This is a fun episode. I had Kiva Dickinson on the podcast, the co-founder and managing partner at Selva Ventures. Um, he's not the first venture capitalist I've had on this podcast, but me and Kiva really get into what a venture capital firm is, how do you start one, and how he started his. Um, and he really goes in depth into just the background of venture capital, um, also like what he finds really important in the brands that they invest in. So. It was a really insightful podcast. Uh, thank you for Kiva for coming on the show. It, it was really fun. And I think you guys are really going to enjoy this episode. All right, everybody. Without further ado, give it up for Kiva Dickinson. All right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Simply Finance with Shane White. I am stoked today to have Kiva Dickinson from Selva Ventures on the podcast. Kiva, welcome to the show, my friend. How are you? Doing well. Good to be here. I appreciate you taking the time. I know you're a busy man. Would you mind giving everyone just a little bit of a background into you and then obviously what Selva Ventures is, and then we'll just dive in. Sure. So I started my career in the investment banking and private equity world. Uh, I was working in the mid 2010s uh, at a firm called TPG in San Francisco, big global private equity firm that invested kind of across every stage and every sector and doing consumer investing at, at TPG at the time meant for the most part buying big retailers. We owned J. Crew, we owned Gelson's, Petco, 
Uh, and it was very noticeable in the mid, mid 2010s that the trends going on in consumer were really surrounding e-commerce and health and wellness. And throughout our retail portfolio, we just didn't have the right kind of exposure to those things. Yeah. I would often on my way home from work, stop at Whole Foods to pick up dinner and grocery shop and walk through the aisles and see all of these amazing new brands that made eating and living healthier, easier, and more accessible to people and more enjoyable probably is the, is the most important part. Um, and I often wondered, like, what, why, why can't we act on this? Uh, and, you know, a little bit of research found that uh, we just couldn't invest that early out of a fund of our size. Uh, it led me to start looking at who was investing in these types of companies and, and think at the time it was, it was like buy, it was RX bar, it was, uh, it was kind bar. And uh, in that effort and in the work that we were doing at TPG, around the same time, we discovered this company called CircleUp. CircleUp uh, had started as an equity crowdfunding marketplace and had evolved over time as a company, a technology company to help emerging consumer packaged goods companies raise capital. They were pivoting in 2017 to actually launch their first fund. When we at TPG invested in CircleUp and in the fund, I left to join CircleUp as a partner to help them get that off the ground. Oh, wow. I spent two years there. I absolutely loved it. I fell in love with the early stage. I fell in love with working with entrepreneurs. Uh, and I felt like in many respects, we're in the first or second inning of this health and wellness gold rush of uh, companies being able to better meet consumer needs. Uh, much better actually than the longstanding legacy CPG companies that had come before. Uh, and uh, I ended up, you know, being involved in our investments in nut pods and liquid ID and got this amazing experience, but I ran into this problem, which is that we often would try to get to know companies when they were at call it a million dollars in sales, but we couldn't act on them until they were around five or 10. And when a company was growing fast at a million dollars in sales with a great product and a great founder, I would want to help them. And so I would try to find folks who would fund them until they were ready to work with us. Uh, and what I found was this dynamic of consumer funds really wouldn't go that early. And traditional venture funds that would specialize in seed would not invest in consumer products. And so it was angel investors and family offices who would often do seed rounds of fast-growing emerging CPG. Uh, and in many respects, they didn't add that much value. And so I saw this opportunity to create a firm that would uh, kind of own that space as the go-to partner to give strategic resources to companies at that seed stage. And with that, Selva Ventures was born. So wow. um, founded the firm two years ago and have been at this ever since. That's awesome. That's really cool. And you know, it's funny, I've had a few people on here that have gone into the venture, I guess, into that like spectrum who started investment banking is, do you think that is, is that kind of like a springboard for a lot of people who have maybe like thought about getting into investment banking? Is that just like something that most people, you know, they're in that big world and they want to get into a different Avenue or did you, did you see a lot of that? Or is that just something that you just kind of fell in love with to your point? Yeah. You know, a lot of people who start their career in investment banking don't have any intention of finishing it there. They're looking for a chance to learn really quickly and get exposure to a bunch of different industries and be handed a lot of responsibility. 
uh, I for sure loved the kind of intensity of, of learning that I had when I was there. Uh, I looked up at the folks that I worked for and respected them quite a bit, but I didn't want to be them. Uh, I wanted to, you know, be more on the company or owner side of things. Uh, and, you know, I wanted to solve complicated problems, but what I learned there was transformational for me. And in that respect, it was how finance works, how accounting works, uh, how cost of capital works and how growth works. And I tried to build up that skill set as a way of adding value to a type of company that I found really interesting, which yeah. was an emerging health and wellness company. But you can add value to those sorts of companies in any way. You can add value with operations. You can add value with marketing. Finance is just, is just one way that uh, often the folks who are building these companies are looking for that skill set. And it kind of goes hand in hand. Got it. Okay. Very cool. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean... It is, it's gotta be a grind right out the gate. Did you, did you think the few you, years you were there, um, was that going to be, did you think you were going to get into this section, this sector, I guess, as quick as you did, like leave investment banking and go into the venture area? Did that, did that happen faster than you expected? I definitely, I mean, def, definitely, to be honest, I, I didn't know that my current job existed when I started this venture as, a, Fair as enough, an investment yeah. banker. So so it, it took a lot of learning. It took a lot of trial and error. And, you know, the move from investment banking to private equity when I joined TPG was probably a much more tried and true path. That is something that a lot of people, a lot of people do as a way of kind of extending their learning and learning how to invest. Um, I think the jump to venture came when I started investing at TPG and learning that uh, earlier stage, faster growth, working with founders instead of uh, hired guns yeah. is just a lot more fulfilling to me. Uh, it's nothing against hired executives, but this, the, the passion of a founder is so intoxicating to be around. And so helping them make this dream a reality became really addictive to me. And once I got a taste of that, I knew I had to do it as a career. Got it. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. I would agree from the amount of entrepreneurs I've been around. You definitely feel a totally different vibe. Um, totally. And, and you said, you know, a couple of the early investments, Liquid IV, Nut Pods. What was, how did those opportunities come? I think some people who have listened to this have said, you know, you hear about venture. You Some people are like, you know, like your background going from, investment banking into venture. It's kind of a, you know, a, a diagonal line to it. Um, how did you kind of get some of those opportunities with some of these brands that a lot of us who are listening, you know, know of was, was liquid IV and nut pods were those two examples of, of brands that were kind of in that world of, of the firm you were working at? Yeah, I think, uh, that's a great question. And, you know, I, I think there's always a balance, uh, between, the network opportunities that grow as you build a brand for yourself as a firm as circle up had and uh, the sort of effective merit of outbound research to track down folks that are doing things that are really interesting. So, you know, those two examples represented, you know, the, the two at, at, at circle up that kind of, you know, ran into each and that nut pods had raised money on the circle up platform years before and, you know, had, had a really 
strong affinity for the company. And so when the, when the company launched a fund and we started talking to them about a direct investment, they were really receptive to it. And that really just came off the back of years of brand building from, from the team at, at Circle Up and, and relationship building with the folks at NutPods. In the case of Liquid IV, you know, it was it was a company that we surfaced with some of the data tracking that we were doing at the time at, at Circle Up. And uh, I, I legitimately sent a cold email to Brandon. And, oh, did you really? Uh, I, I did. And, and thank God he responded to it because he has become an incredible friend and you know, we'll be at my wedding next year and, and wow. you know, had, had the chance of building side by side, uh, you know, as, as they went on this really explosive trajectory uh, in, in the months that followed. And so, um, you know, two really, really different points of like one, a long-term relationship that turns into a deal and one just find a company doing something interesting that you have conviction in and shoot your shot and don't be afraid to send an email. The worst thing is he won't respond. And in that case he did. Sure. Sure. Yeah, exactly. That makes a ton of sense. Right. And it's amazing. Like even like, you know, getting you on here, it's, it was a LinkedIn message. So sometimes those, those shots, you you know, what is that saying? You miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. Right. So goes exactly. The same for exactly. And for and for you. So when you, when you went over to help, um, stand like stand up that firm did you have the opportunity to then put your own capital in as well or are you putting in the firm's capital how did like all of that work early on for you at circle up you mean or itself yeah sorry at circle up yeah um you know they, they were they were in the midst of of raising capital uh they had a collection of really good institutional investors and um you know some family offices some angels from the space uh, you know, at, at the time I was pretty young, I didn't have a lot of capital to deploy myself, but, you know, was, was well incentivized to jump in there. I mean, it definitely is, is a, a contrast in the fund size and strategy to, to what I've done since. Um, but, you know, it certainly was a great exposure to how building a firm and how raising capital actually worked. When you join a big firm like TPG that I think manages probably over a hundred billion dollars now, it's a well-oiled machine. They have such a reputation in the world. They have uh, so much ability and so many pre-existing relationships that, you know, as a new associate, when you join a place like that, you don't really see the fundraising machine at work. Whereas at Circle Up, the team is so small, you got to, you get to see and really understand, you know, what we were building and how an LP would respond to that. Uh, if I hadn't had that experience of seeing how to build the process and seeing how to interface with LPs and tell a story, there's no way that I would have been ready to then start an investment firm two years later. Wow. Yeah. No, I mean, that's a big jump. Like those are three major jumps in a very short amount of time, right? I mean, in hindsight, sure. I'm sure it feels that way too. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it, it's, it's amazing, especially when you think, you know, going, going into a new role, you may have a belief that you understand how the business works or how the world works. And then two years later, when you leave and look back on everything that you learned, uh, you'll just have this kind of God, was I naive? Like I didn't, oh, I didn't get any of this stuff. <laughs> and so uh, I, I honestly could not be more thankful that the folks at Circle Up took a chance on me and gave me the chance to see in not from 30,000 feet, but like one foot, one inch into how to build a firm, how to set up a firm, what you actually do, all the moving pieces. 
Um, and you know, that, that learning has been one of the most powerful learnings in my life. Yeah, no, I bet. I mean, it's, uh, and it, it seems like now it's unlocked like a whole future for you that, you know, it could be as prosperous as you possibly could make it is this next question is going to maybe sound like a dumb question, but again, the point of the podcast is to help people who have no idea maybe, or want to just learn from the basics for someone like when you had the opportunity or you, you thought you wanted to start a venture firm, um, could you maybe just like quickly explain for people who like, let's say someone listening who has like a W2 job, they have a 401k, they probably put some money post-tax into the you know open market, they're investing in mutual funds or just individual stocks. For someone like you, was there just like, did you have a, a point in time where you were like, you could put a bunch of money into that, hope it grows at, you know, whatever percent a year versus like, a lot of times in venture, like you're putting a lot of cash up at a really big bet that these companies are going to grow quickly and sell. Did, was there much like thought at all as you were kind of at either circle up or even before that at TPG, like that's probably what a lot of people, that was the typical way of spending their money, whether it was investing in normal things. Um, how did you kind of think about that when you're with your own wealth and like the major differences between those? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think the first thing that I would say is, uh, at, at, at my level of wealth at, at this point, which is, you know, quite, quite small relative to many of the folks whose, whose capital I manage, uh, you know, I, I, I was not looking to take the kind of risk personally in illiquid high growth investments that I do professionally in my day to day job of investing into these startups. And so, one of the things that I fully believe was that investing in early stage health and wellness was a really powerful long-term way to build wealth, but I did not have the liquidity to invest at this stage myself, which is why I needed to access outside capital, which either meant go work at a firm that has outside capital or uh, raise outside capital directly and, and hang out my own shingle. So you know, the, the first thing that I always say in, in to, to anyone considering making an early stage investment is you, know, you need to be able and willing to lose the money that you invest because often, you know, you're not going to see it for a really, really long time, even if things go really, really well. And so for personal finance, I will always say, you know, invest in ETFs, invest in the market, be a, a long-term buyer and holder. Uh, don't get into things that you don't really deeply understand and have conviction on um, until you have money to lose on it. I think professionally, I saw a business opportunity, which is to say that uh, my thesis on health and wellness in this stage in particular is something that I have a ton of conviction on in its merit, but also in its lack of competition. And so I felt positioned to go out to a collection of folks who saw similarly what was happening in the world of health and wellness and consumer brands and say, the changes that you see around you when you walk through a grocery store are available as business opportunities, but you need the access and insight to know how to find these companies and how to pick them. And you probably don't have the time and network to develop that yourself. So I'm going to go do that for you. I'm going to talk to hundreds of companies a year. 
I'm going to form a process of how to evaluate them. I'm going to uh, build a set of resources that I can offer to these companies so that they want to work with us so that we have strategic capital, not just capital. And all of that together will mean that uh, an investor who likes the thesis would rather pay us, the firm, fees for it rather than try to go do it themselves, making one-off investments. Well, that was a phenomenal answer to that question, Kiva. So thank you for that. That I mean, that was a very great way of breaking that down. So that makes a ton of sense. And for anyone listening, so what you so what like something like like your firm does is you go out, totally makes sense. Someone who has a lot of wealth that's looking to make investments into some of these seed round firms that don't have the don't know where to find them, right? Where do you find the next liquid IVs? It's not like something that you can just Google and, and understand who the next, you know firm is that's going to pop. That's what you do. And then you spend a lot of time researching it and you're, you've become like a, a student of the better for you food and beverage, you know, space and evaluating them. So they kind of get to come to you. You've already evaluated them. So it's kind of like, that makes a ton of sense. Now yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Yeah. And I think for people listening, I'm sure that is a huge lightning, like a, a light bulb going off. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's our job to know what the powerful trends are in the industry. Uh, before others do. It's our job to know who the interesting founders are and what the interesting companies are long before the majority of consumers know about them. And it's our job to be able to, to sort of suss out what has staying power and you know what terms make sense. And all of those things are services that we perform for the people who trust us with their capital. And so you know our, our hope at the end of the day is that if somebody wants to invest, call it $100,000 into the world of better for you health and wellness, we can deploy that 100000 for them much better than they could on their own. Definitely. No, definitely. It makes it, and to your point, it's, it adds a lot of value to someone who maybe has a lot of wealth, but not a lot of time or a lot of a network to in this space, sure. but they're bullish on this too, to a degree from a 30,000 foot view, right? Exactly. And how did like... I, what I think is cool is it, obviously you can tell from talking to you even for 30 minutes here that you have a lot of conviction. You have a lot of um, belief in this industry. Let's just go back to, you know, day one of starting, of starting um, your firm. What was like some of the early steps, right? Cause like, where do you, I feel like it's kind of like a two-sided thing when it comes to venture capital. Like you have to have to your point, the funnel of companies that you're evaluating in those processes, but then you also have to get people who are kind of like the first people to like believe in you. Like I'm sure that was sure. like a hard to like hard thing to get off the ground. Yeah, it it definitely was not easy, and I was incredibly fortunate to have built a relationship with uh, a guy named David years before. Back when I was working at TPG, I actually had tried to invest in his company. Oh, nice! And while the investment never happened, we built this really powerful bond of getting to know each other and, and, you know, help, helping me learn about what his business did and what made it special. Uh, you know, that meant we, for a long time, believed we'd one day maybe work together on something. And, you know, when I came to him with this idea, things really took off. Uh, that meant there were still a lot of other people to convince about this idea and share my conviction and how it would actually work. Um, you know, that's, that's a huge challenge early, early when you're, when you're trying to uh, 
convince folks that you're not just a good investment firm employee, but an investment firm manager. Yeah, it's a it's a big shift, and you need to think of a lot of things that you don't think about when you start at a desk at a firm that already has capital. Um, and so, a lot of those things were part of the entrepreneur side of my journey versus the investor side of my journey that I really got a good kick out of. And so, that meant how do we build a strategy for why a company would take capital for us? Mm-hmm. That goes in the assumption that we can find the right company to give money to, but if we do, why would they take it from us instead of somebody else? There's right. a powerful saying that everybody's money is green. So how do you show that they, they want your money, that your money is a little bit greener than everybody else's is? And so that meant trying to figure out what entrepreneurs need, what are their pain points, and what are the things that we're capable of solving, and where does that Venn diagram overlap? Um, it also was... Uh, establishing and building a brand that could mean something in the industry, which means having a name, having a logo, having a website, having, you know, testimonials and advisors and people that can vouch for you because, you know, the world based on relationships and references. And so um, all of that, the, the investment firm building was a lot of the early stuff that I had no experience from before. And honestly, I have so much admiration for people who start a business and go through the naming process, because that was one of the hardest things I ever did. I went through, it's like naming a child, you go through hundreds of different options and, and, you know, ultimately really happy with where it came out. But, you know, at the time it was incredibly stressful and difficult. Yeah. I feel like most people, unless they've started something probably don't realize how much time and energy goes into that, but I guess that's a good, good leeway. How did you guys get to Selva Ventures and what is like, what does Selva stand for or mean? Yeah, it is inspired by the Spanish word for rainforest. Uh, and so one of the things that I, I, I probably didn't share earlier, but the mission of our firm is to invest in brands that make their consumers' lives better. Yeah, okay. And to us, that means better ingredients, better function, and better emotional connection with the consumer. And so one of the things that I wanted the name and, and essence of the brand to embody was this idea of, of incubating better things. Um, a creator of better things. And the rainforest is the world's greatest incubator of life and natural medicines. And so there was initially this, this kind of ethos fit of, of what rainforests do and what we want our impact on the world to be. Uh, and then from that, if you actually think a little bit about and research a little bit about how rainforests work, they have four layers where a lot of people see these overhead shots of rainforest that see these blanket of trees. That's the canopy. That's the third layer. But the fourth layer is this emergent layer, which is like one in a hundred trees that shoot up above the canopy. And our idea is we want to look for those. We want to look for the outliers and help them emerge above the canopy. So our logo actually has these, these three green lines that represent the three layers below the emergent layer and and the stem and top. What looks like a leaf from afar is actually a tree emerging above the canopy. Very cool. Oh, love that. I, it popped up very briefly when we first got on here. I, and I didn't, you know, I didn't make the connection, obviously. Cool. Very cool. I, I, th- I think many people think it's a leaf, but I liked the second level meaning to it. No, definitely. That's really cool. And it's like, I mean, great visual that makes a ton of sense for exactly what you're doing. That's, Thank you. That's wild. So, I mean, that's pretty cool. It seems like you had a, you had an envision for what you wanted to do in a space that you felt was ripe for opportunity. 
What would you say was one of the biggest surprises of starting Selva Ventures that you like had no idea was gonna was gonna come? Just something that like has stood out to you in the test of time so far in the few years you've been running this. That if you look yeah. you know, now looking back, you're like, I would have had no idea this was gonna be a challenge or an opportunity or a win. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I think I I wouldn't say that I would have had no idea, but I think being a founder and fund manager has given me a new appreciation for the founder emotional journey, Uh, making decisions on your own that are existential to the future of your business that are naturally super ambiguous, where there's not a natural right or wrong answer that's apparent in the moment is so, so challenging. And doing that with the capital of people that you really care about layers on the pressure on top of it. And so I think once I began this journey with Selva Ventures, I started to have a much greater empathetic appreciation for what it was like to be my counterparts. These founders of consumer brands who are out there building businesses, having declining cash balances every month while they try to build this thing that's going to change the world in a positive way. And so that has both been a massive area of of growth for me, um, but also a big surprise and something that I've worked hard every day on to make sure that, you know, I can, I can handle it and it brings a a productive element to my life and business. Yeah. That's a, I mean, that's a great one. Um, I mean, and for you for like, it seems like you guys are a type of firm that must be very involved. I don't know how often with each of the brands you're invested in, like how often are you talking and when working with the founders of some of these brands, is it pretty often? Yeah. I mean, it totally, it totally depends, but you know, there are, there are some that I probably talk to every day or every other day, whether it's a text message, a phone call or a voice note, there's others that we kind of have like the monthly or quarterly updates with. Um, you know, as we, as our portfolio grows, it's now 11 you know, year, a year ago, it was only, I think four or five at, at, at this time. And so, uh, that naturally means that, you know, our, our time gets, gets spread more thinly, but, you know, my favorite ones, honestly, are the relationships where, uh, it's not just, Hey, we need help with this one thing every now and then it's the, you know, 11 PM text messages of like, what do I do here? How do I figure this out? I need somebody to work it through with me. Oh, wow. Um, that kind of problem solving that we get to do when we're the trusted partner to these founders is by far the best part of the job. And so, you know, those situations where, you know, we're, we're talking regularly, we're texting regularly, and we're working through these problems together. And we can make those founders a little bit less lonely in the tough decisions that they have to make um, that's the most rewarding thing. Oh, it's gotta be. Yeah. I mean, that's cool. So you guys are actually pretty involved with like problem solving, which, you know, for sure. sure some, some are, some are not. Yeah. Right. I mean, we're, we're formally on a couple of the boards and, and I think, you know, in, in, in informal situations, you know, we try to be amongst a sea of really great supporters that are on the cap table of these companies. We try to be the CPG experts. Like we want to be the ones that they came to for really tangible advice on what to do and, you know, tangible solutions when there's a problem that they're facing and they don't know who to call. 
And so in those situations, you know, we, we like to be as involved as is productive. Got it. That makes a ton of sense. And so for all these brands that you guys have in your portfolio, so there's, you know, 11 now for the, for the folks on the other side who are investing capital with you guys, what is, is there like a, is there like a specific goal timeline or like when these people are hoping to get their investment back? Or is it kind of in this space, kind of a, you're making an investment, you believe in this brand, but is there, is there usually like a hard timeline and when the brand thinks they can probably, you know, sell or, or exit or, or however they're going to get their money back? Yeah. You know, funds timelines for venture capital are, are 10 years and you usually deploy over three. And so the idea is, you know, seven to 10 years, you're supposed to be returning capital to, to, to your investors. You know, nothing would make me happier than to return it sooner. You know, fast successes are, are few and far between. Sure. It's, a, it's a grind, a long grind to build these businesses. But, you know, in, in general, uh, you know, our, our goal is not to be hyper precise in when a possible exit might happen. We want to be, you know, the first strategic capital in, in most of these cases and help, uh, help our companies grow to be 50 to $100 million in sales in relatively short order, um, not, not too short, not rushing at the, at the expense of the health of the business. But um, I tend to find that, you know, if, if you can grow to 50 to $100 million in sales in five to eight years, you're going to do just fine on the exit and our investors will be happy. Love it. Very cool. So it kind of, kind of goes across the, the gamut. And are you guys, you said you're, you invest in early rounds. Are you guys planning on doing anything later rounds at all? Or do you like to kind of get into the beginning and, and move on to like other brands for their early rounds? Yeah, we're, we're super focused on seed and series A today. There are cases where, you know, our existing companies might be raising more capital and, and we're still extremely bullish on what they're doing and want to keep supporting them and want to keep, you know, protecting our ownership and maybe even owning more uh, down the road. I would imagine that if we're in a position to grow and, and access later rounds and expand our scope, we would love to do it. But I want to make sure that we never lose our ability to invest at this early stage. I think this early stage is a really attractive time to get involved. And if you raise too large a fund and need to write too large of a check, you may lose your ability to invest in a really exciting company with only a million dollars in sales. I think we've always stood for being that, you know, seed expert. Yeah. So I don't want to, I don't want to leave what made us successful. Love that. No, I love sticking to your guns and it seems like what's where you're an expert. So that's, that's awesome. Um, I'm sure everyone is wondering that's listening too. So obviously we now know the space that you guys are really focused on. What are some of the key drivers key i guess like benchmarks that you guys really really focus on for these brands that you eventually pull into silva ventures yeah i mean we want to see a real opportunity for virality if we're investing at one to five in sales and we want to see them reach 50 plus in you know five or six years there's a lot of growth that has to happen in the middle and so we want to believe that the historical proof of growth potential is real. Um, beyond that, I think we're really focused on business model health and efficiency. And that means the way that customer acquisition works 
you know, how much you're paying to acquire customers and, and how much of a return you get from those customers and gross margin. You know, we want to see efficient gross margin that shows um, both that your consumers really value what you're creating in the world, uh, but also that, you know, when, when you make a dollar of sales, you get enough to reinvest back into your growth. And so, you know, we're, we're often looking for companies that don't need to raise as much capital. We find that really attractive. We're looking for companies that have really effective organic ways of acquiring customers because what they make is great. Um, and we're looking for companies, you know, that, that have high gross margins that, you know, continue to promote that growth. And there's exceptions to all of that. We've gotten excited about companies that didn't check any of those boxes for different sure. reasons because they just have an X factor. Um, but, you know, in, in, in many respects, those, those are the first three things that I look at when I open an investor deck, for example. Yeah. Love that. Okay. No, that makes a ton of sense. Those are like, you know, I don't know, I would agree. Those are great things to kind of check the box as far as like understanding the early health. Have you guys seen, it seems like maybe the world that I play in, um, I've noticed there seems to be a lot more brands too, that are for lack of better words, uh, burning hot. They, you know, maybe lower gross margins with the hope of with scale, they can unlock, you know, better gross margins. Is that something that is, is, is a worry for you for an early brand? If you're a founder listening, or, you know, if you have a, if your unit economics aren't fantastic, but you think you can unlock it with, with scale or with shelf stability, something, something that's like, you know, an innovation to your product down the road. Um, it's been interesting. I feel like I've, I've been hearing a lot more of that lately, which I'm with you. I, I, always, I guess probably coming from the RX bar side of things where we had really strong gross margins sure. out the gate, it like funded our whole business. So it's been interesting for me having people on the podcast, learning that there seems to be quite a few brands in the space that are also like on the totally other, other side where they're, yeah. they're burning cash, but just love to hear yeah. your perspective. Yeah. I mean, for the most part, all of our companies are burning cash to some extent, varying, varying extents, but I, I would, I would probably, I would probably position my answer by saying my goal as, as an investor is to see a vision that a founder is trying to create and give them time to make progress on that vision until the next version of me comes around mm. and gives more time. And so as an early investor, the earliest possible investor, you need the most subsequent validators to continue giving that company more time. And so the hotter you burn, the scarier it is for the first investor, because instead of, you know, three tolls along the road to the end of the highway, you're going to have five. And that's two more people who can say no and yeah. derail your journey. Or it's, instead of having 18 months between tolls, you only have six to nine. And I like to say, like, it's really hard to be six months smart. We try to be six years smart, but it's really hard to be six months smart. So we strongly prefer a situation where we're part of a company that has more time for its next proof point to be ready for that next toll. Doesn't mean that there aren't massive success stories of companies that raise capital every like four or five months on the way to a huge outcome. But in my mind, I sleep easy when we have an investment in a great team with a great product that has time to go build their vision into a reality before they need to prove it to the next investor. 
Love that answer too. Cause at the end of the day, it's a risk, right? You're, you're, you're making an investment. It's no, there's no guarantees. So there's That's our be- job. Our job is to take good risks. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. Very true. Um, obviously since you are extremely involved in the better for you food and beverage space, which I'm obviously obsessed with too, would love to ask this question. Cause I get this question all the time off of the podcast is just what categories or what, you know, aisles in the grocery store, if you're talking about a physical location, are you, do you think the most bullish on right now about like what innovation is coming and, and where people can expect a lot of brands to really pop out? Yeah. Great question. Um, I think the, the first place that I would say is, is probably in, within food and beverage, the most bullish that I could possibly be is on healthier alcohol alternatives, especially non-alcoholic versions. Uh, we just invested into a company called Shirley Wines, which oh, okay. is one of the early movers and market leaders in non-alcoholic wine. And, you know, that came off of a multi-year effort of understanding the reasons that people drink non-alcoholic beer, wine, and spirits and exploring, you know, long conversations with many of the early builders like Bill at Athletic Brewing and what made his customers tick as early adopters. Uh, I have this thesis that everybody wearing their Apple watches and aura rings have basically just learned that if you drink, you'll sleep worse. And if you sleep worse, you'll live worse. And so uh, like directly correlated. It's the weirdest that, I mean, you do, you learn it immediately. You you can learn that in like three days and and get your money's worth for the whoop. And so I, I think, you know, one of the biggest unlocks to that is just recognizing that alcohol still has a really important place within our, our society and, and culture. But that doesn't mean that the drinks that we consume in those situations need to have alcohol in them or that every drink you consume over a given night needs to have alcohol in it. And so what I think five years ago uh, would have resulted in a lot of head scratching whenever I talk about it. Now I start to see a heck of a lot more nodding. And you'll probably walk around in uh, January and see a whole lot of people saying they're not drinking because of dry January, which would have been completely meaningless to most people three years ago. And so I, I think the innovation there uh, around what do people do when they usually drink is the lowest hanging fruit for health and wellness decisions and a huge opportunity for innovation from brands. Love that. Yeah, that's so true. Like out of the whole health and wellness space, that is, I I hadn't really connected those two dots, but like, yeah, you're, everyone's wearing things now. They're telling us to drink less alcohol. There's not a, I mean, there, there are some options. It was funny. I was at Benny's the other day, which is like a big Chicago based, um, huge liquor store, alcohol store. It's got everything. And now they have an entire aisle designated to non-alcoholic beverages, which was new. I, I was like, oh, there's a whole aisle now. Like, and I didn't even go down yeah. it, but I'm sure, you know, the brands you just named off, there's becoming, they're, they're popping up. It's, it's big. And, you know, we're, we're advisors to Foxtrot and have talked Love to it. those folks a lot who are great innovators in the non-alcoholic and healthier alcohol set. And so um, the acceptance, the cultural acceptance and the embracing of these brands that are really fun and engaging, a ton of it is driven by the retailers who have really positioned these in, in a positive light. And that's why we're, we're so high on retailers like this, who are, are really thought leaders in driving the health and wellness culture forward in the alcohol movement. 
Yeah, no, I love that. Cause what a couple of years ago, I feel like people would like joke about O'Doul's or like one of the other brands, you know what I mean? Like saying you're having mm -hmm. a non-alcoholic beer was like kind of a joke. Like why have a beer? But now it is, you're right. It's totally becoming a, a thing that people yeah, that and like, uh, I've had the guys from can on here who have like the, they're amazing. Yeah. So totally. it, a whole different yeah. way to think about it too. So lots of innovation. I love, I love that brand so much. I think, I think very Jay authentic are two of the best founders in the space. And, uh, you know, they, they are, they are all part of this team of founders solving this problem of people being unsatisfied with alcohol. Uh, and yeah. providing really valuable alternatives to the consumer that they get excited about. So um, I want I want there to be more innovators in this space, and I'm really excited to meet anyone who's doing something exciting in it. Love that. Okay. Well, everyone, anyone listening, there you go. There's your plug. Um, love it. And as we're we're kind of getting to the end of the hour, Kiva, I have a couple of questions I love asking every founder that comes sure. on here. The first one is obviously you're a, you're a busy person with a ton of moving pieces in your day. Um, what do you use as a tool, um, you know, to plan your goals, whether it's for personal, for business, and then ultimately, what do you use to track and, and really plan out like your daily tasks to get things done? Are you an app guy? Are you a pen and paper kind of guy? Like, what do you use to get shit done? Pen and paper. I, I have tried every single productivity tool there ever, <laughs> there ever was or likely will be. And I have never found one that uh, does a better job than just having a notepad beside you and the feeling of satisfaction when you cross something out. I have tried to implement different techniques to it. One of them being like, pick three things that you can't go to bed without finishing and write all the other things down below it if you get to them, but yeah. only worry about those three. That's probably the technique that I've been trying to live on over the past couple months. And that's been working wonders to not just feel overwhelmed, trying to push a boulder up the hill every day. Love that. I, I do the same thing. I use uh, it's called uh, the full focus planner, but it's not rocket science. It's literally what's your big three things. And then all your other stuff. Yep. And there is something funny about it. Like I was talking to a friend the other day and I'm like, it's weird. Cause if like, if you really do prioritize and you get three things done a day, it doesn't sound like a lot, but you do that for five days, it's 15. You do it for seven. You know, you got to, you did 21 really important things in a week. You do that every week in yeah. a year. There's a lot of days in a year. Yeah, for sure. It makes you realize you get a lot of shit done. Um, yep. Love that. Okay. Fantastic. Um, the next one, I'm sure you're gonna have a good one here. I feel like, cause you're very dialed in. Um, what would be a great source of knowledge? Could be a book, a podcast, anything that you've read or listened to recently that you'd suggest the audience check out? Great question. Um, you know, I probably learned the most, I'll, I'll give two. Love I'll it. give two. One book that I have been reading recently that I have loved particular to CPG is called Ramping Your Brand. And it has been an amazing uh, reflection and guide in how to build efficiently oh, okay. and not, not grow too fast, but also recognize that you have to grow fast enough to access capital and, and get on the right trajectory. And so in incredibly actionable insights, incredibly timely examples. I think it was written in the past year or two and therefore has examples that are from the past five years that are really relevant and, and close to people's minds and hearts and explains a lot of the success stories and consumer brands. So I've loved that 
for for me as an investor in in the just like higher level less CPG focus, um, I love learning from other investors in the frameworks that they use in other industries to try to build patterns into my work in CPG. Mm. And the best content that I get to apply to that is a podcast called Invest Like the Best by Patrick O'Shaughnessy. Love that um, one. And so I I, I try to listen to anytime he he brings on folks who founded firms, anytime he brings on folks who have invested in anything related to consumer. I love engaging on it, but I also just love uh, using it as kind of like a learning tutorial for things that I'm curious about, like enterprise software or crypto or gaming. Um, And so I, I find anytime I spend an hour listening to one of those, I get so much smarter and I love that feeling. Love that. Yeah. I just got turned on to that podcast by another guest recently and it's so good. He's great. It's the best around for sure. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. He's, he's done an amazing job and, and I'll be a fan of it for a long time. Yeah. No, I love that. Appreciate you plugging too. That's, that's great. Um, the last one and the most important question Kiva is how do people listening get involved and follow along with your journey and how do they learn more about Selva? And then if they have an idea or a product or something that maybe Selva would be interested in, how do people reach out to you guys? For sure. It's, it's a great uh, way to hold myself accountable that I've been trying to write more publicly lately. And so you can follow me at, at Twitter at Kiva Dickinson. You can find me on LinkedIn and follow. I, I post short-term thoughts or, or short-form thoughts on Twitter and long-form thoughts on LinkedIn and Medium. Uh, and then uh, anytime you've got you know an idea or relevant connection, it's just Kiva at SalvaVentures.com. Um, I, I try to get through my inbounds at least within a week and respond to everybody. And so would love to hear from you. Love it. Love it. Awesome. Well, Kiva, thank you so much. This was honestly a very insightful podcast for me as well. I, I learned a little bit about venture capital and learned uh, what you guys are doing. And I'm excited to to see what you guys do, see who you guys invest in in the future. And uh, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to come on the show. Thanks, Shane. I appreciate you having me. Really enjoyed it. Absolutely. And let's stay in touch. Sounds like a plan. Awesome. Thanks, Kiva.